We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you an old friend, Jonathan Soroff, who is a journalist and author and a well-known columnist, previously from the Improper Bostonian, now works with Boston Magazine, writing wonderful, hilarious articles, but also following all the things with who's who and what's what in the Boston area. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Good to be here virtually. (laughs) Such a treat to have you on the show. And I've always been inspired by just the way that you have managed to live your life and explore the world through your work and through play. And you've always had such a wonderful spirit about it. How did you get into that space of writing and really integrating that so that you could live that lifestyle? It's probably a two-part answer, but the first part of it is my parents, when I was a child, very much encouraged us that we traveled with them and they encouraged us. You know, I remember my father saying, go trekking in Peru when I was 16. Uh, They saw the incredible value in terms of education of travel and seeing the world and realizing that your own little corner of the world and what you ate and language you spoke and the things you did is not what the rest of the world does. And then the second part of it, you know, as a journalist, I had always done a little bit of travel writing. I do a lot of culture, arts, uh, entertainment. But as I approached 50, I made a concerted effort. I said, you know, the, the only part of journalism that I'm not doing as much of as I'd like to is travel writing. And so I just pursued every travel publication, every editor I knew, every contact I could think of. And now it's what I spend a great deal of my time until very recently doing. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, put a little bit of a stop on our uh, ability to move around. And yet we can still write about it and write about sort of where we plan to go next. What are some of your favorite places that you've experienced in your travel writing? Or maybe Um, not even when you were writing. (laughs) East Africa is definitely my favorite place on the planet. Kenya, Tanzania, you know, that whole part of the planet. Also, Brazil, all of Southeast Asia and Micronesia, New Zealand, the South Pacific. I tend to like places that are not developed or if they are developed or developed in a sort of chaotic way. I mean, my favorite cities are places like, you know, Hong Kong and Rio. So (laughs) you like the chaos. Yeah, I do. There's something actually so beautiful about that when you come from a place that is so, I mean, Boston is very sort of organized and structured and fixed. And so to be able to come out of that and get sort of the extreme opposite in perspective is really a beautiful thing. And it it sort of gives you the opportunity to recognize both the good and the bad of where we come from. Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing more, you know, thrilling than to suddenly find yourself with unfamiliar sights and smells and spices in the food and colors and just even animals walking down the street. I that's there's nothing that can replace that feeling. For sure. For sure. And I would imagine that with the work that you've done because it's taken you through places where although, you know, you're talking about undeveloped places, but it's also taken you to some really amazing places that are very developed and very luxurious, or maybe that are off the beaten path, but that are 
incredible experiences for me- that many of us would never have exposure to, particularly because you were working often with celebrities. Can you share any of those stories of sort of some of the things that you might have been exposed to that, you know, that we may not have a, a chance to even get a glimpse at other than <laughs> reading your stories? Yeah, sort of the places that are the hardest to get to, and yet they have still figured out how to exist there. The only one of those that's still really high on my list is Antarctica. I was supposed to go this past winter, but that got canceled. The window to go there is sort of December through January, and I just couldn't get it together. But then, I mean, in between January 1st and the middle of February, I was in Morocco and then Japan and then Ireland. So the first, it was three continents in five weeks in the first six weeks of this, of this year. That sounds wonderful and yet a bit exhausting. What are some of the things that you do in order to make that travel work more fluidly for you? I mean, what a, you know, here we are talking about global nomad hacks. What are some of the things that you do, whether it's having a fixed go bag that is completely organized and ready to go, or whether it's, you know, figuring out the system with the different lounges and whatnot? Are there certain things that you have a system set up so that it makes that easier for you? Absolutely. I mean, packing light is a really major one. A lot of places, you know, people think that they're never going to be able to do laundry or clean anything while they're traveling. And it's just not true. So yeah, I pack light, I pack in a single pallet, you know, like I fix, I figure out whether it's going to be, you know, black shoes, brown shoes, whatever, you know, and all of those are just basic packing, you know, things in terms of the actual travel itself. I mean, the only thing I don't like about it is sitting on a plane for endless hours. And there are things you can do to alleviate that basically by just, you know, making sure that you have all the things that are going to make you comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. So I never travel without something that will serve as a blanket because airline blankets gross me out and I have a feeling they're a thing of the past. And all of the things that I'm saying, the answer to your question is anything that I say is going to be outdated by the time all of us start getting onto airplanes again, because it's going to be a very, very different world when we start traveling again. Unfortunately, in the short term, I think it's going to be even more miserable than it has been for a long time. And then in the long run, my guess is that the industry is going to absolutely have to make it more comfortable, more amenable, less incredibly unpleasant, less of an onus on you to, I don't know, feed yourself and and provide for yourself on planes. It's going to be very, very different. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, And even just in the short term, people are trying to figure out sort of, I think they're making more conscientious decisions about whether travel is essential and maybe trying to travel a little bit in their proximity instead and experience where they live with a different perspective. Have you done any of that while you've been in quarantine? Absolutely, because while I'm in quarantine, I still have to be a travel writer. And so I've been having to write about places that are within a day of Boston. And that's been really interesting. It's also like writing with a crystal ball, because when we were all on lockdown in Massachusetts, it was unclear whether you were even going to be able to go to Maine or to New Hampshire, which are, you know, an hour away. So yeah, I've done a lot of it. And I've discovered a lot of places in my backyard that I never really knew about before. 
like just for the past few weeks, I've been sheltering in place in Manchester by the sea, Massachusetts, which is a place that I hadn't been in, I don't know, a couple of years. And I never spent that much time here, but learning the history of this town and seeing like some of the really old, interesting, the development of the town, reading about it, it's really eye opening. I bet. I, I mean, I think uh, we've even explored just our, our proximity, you know, things that are quite close to us here. Even just simple things like in the very beginning of the lockdown, we were only able to go out. We weren't allowed to use any powered vehicles. So anything that we reached, it had to be by foot, by bike or, you know. And so, you know, we were basically going out and walking the dog. And even though we're surrounded by beautiful hiking, we've always gotten in the car to go drive to a trailhead. And now we walk up the hill. And, you know, there's, <laughs> the, you know, there's a certain amount, you know, you have to, it takes nearly half an hour to get to the trailhead, but it's still a beautiful walk when you get up there. And we've just never taken advantage of that walk before. I think that there's, there's so many different things like that, that when you go at a different pace, and you're looking at it from a different perspective. You're looking at it from the the travel perspective, or the, the you know, with fresh eyes. Places we've been to many, many times before all of a sudden look different. So I yeah, I actually have made this recommendation for people looking for a good book in this particular period of time. Eric Larson is a favorite author of mine, and he wrote a book called The Gentleman from Moscow which is about a man who is fascinating and who is, he is punished by the Soviet government. He has to live in the Metropole Hotel and never leave. He can't even go outside. And he lives for 50 some odd years in the Metropole Hotel. And every day is like a new discovery and a new adventure. And it's an unbelievable story. It sounds like something you wouldn't want to read when you feel like you can't leave. But it is absolutely like the joy of discovery within four walls and within a very prescribed amount of space. I love that. That's definitely going on my reading list for the summer. That sounds perfect. We're actually doing a road trip across the country, and I'm excited to show my Swedish spouse a little bit more of the U.S. because we've always hopped on a plane and gone to Europe and or gone to you know Southeast Asia or go somewhere else and. There's so many wonderful things. I mean, the U.S. is not really a backyard, but there's certainly things that were within our proximity without having to get on a plane. So it's going to be really yeah, exciting. Yeah, I mean, my father, I have to give him a shout out. When we were young, he said to us at one point, you kids have seen an awful lot of this world for people your age. It's now time that you realize how incredible your own country is. And so in the summertime, we would go camping in the national parks and we'd hit the ones that are much less, you know, visited because we were trying to avoid crowds. And the things that you see across this country are absolutely stunning. But my question for you is, how are you going to deal with like the lodging, public bathroom, all of those sort of personal things? Because that's a big question. For sure. So our system is basically, well, we needed to transport some things back to the East Coast. So we have a paddleboard and some other things that, so we needed a vehicle that was big enough for that. So we've actually rented a pickup truck, a big F-150. And I found online a tent that will that's fit. That's American. In, that's very American. Exactly. And it will fit a tent in the back, in the bed of the truck. 
and there's a an air mattress that fits that actually accommodates for the ear, for the wheel wells. So that's where we're sleeping. And wow. we're staying we're visiting friends all along the way, but we're social distancing by staying we're sleeping in our truck. They've been nice enough to say that we can actually use their bathroom. So hopefully that will accommodate us enough and you know Growing up in New England, my good training, I know where to find a way to find a, a rock or a tree that I can squat behind. So we should be okay, even in the in-between spaces. But it will be an interesting adventure. We've been hearing a lot about even gas stations aren't letting people use the public restrooms. So that is definitely something to consider. And as someone who's always had a pea-sized bladder, I am amazed at my capacity to go for like an hour and a half long drive or a five mile walk or whatever without having to stop. It's amazing. Like I, this is one of my new skills. Yeah. That and origami. <laughs> I've gotten very into origami during quarantine. Cause I was in Japan in January and uh, I was actually in, I was in Sapporo for the snow festival on the day that Sapporo became Japan's first hotspot for COVID. Oh my goodness. So, I'm guessing that I have the antibodies because I was saying to people, can you take a picture of me next to this ice sculpture? And I was like jammed up with a crowd watching people do, you know, like uh, snowboarders come down the ramp and, you know, so using the subway, using the train, planes, buses, everything. Yeah. Well, hopefully you, you do have the antibodies and you'll be one of the lucky ones that won't have to go through this. I think we're sort of concerned out here because we did lockdown so quickly that, you know, people haven't really been exposed to it enough. And so we're sort of waiting for now that we're lifting what's going to happen and are we going to get that second wave? So it'll be interesting because this show will actually be airing in September. We'll see. Maybe we'll be in another wave or maybe we'll get the big surprise of, hey, it was no big deal. But I, I think we may be in for another wave. We'll, we'll see. Unfortunately, I think it's already a big deal. Yeah. I think so. It'll be really interesting. So, so you're doing a lot of writing now in the travel space. And obviously, that means something different during the COVID times. But once things, and I won't say go back to normal, because I don't think they ever will go back to normal, as you mentioned before, but they will be, it'll be new normal. And sort of where would you, you know, where do you aspire to travel to next? And what do you foresee that writing to be like? Or will you be writing about something else? No. So, I mean, I do hope to go back to writing about travel the way I was, but I think that people are just going to be very much more conscious. People, what we were talking about earlier, the risk assessment is one thing. And, you know, is it worth it to spend a weekend in someplace with palm trees to, you know, be on a plane? But on top of that, people were already thinking about things like their carbon footprint and what this means for global warming and the ecological impact or the social impact. And all of these things now are so much more in the forefront of people's minds that I think that equation, that arithmetic is going to be much, much more part of decision making when it comes to travel. But, you know, I'm dying to go to India. I've never been. Yeah. Now, I'm so with you 100%. I'm so glad you brought that up, because I do think that is becoming much more a part of our consciousness. And I hope even more so as we come through out on the other side of this. But I do think that there's also an opportunity for us to, like I said, get a fresh perspective on where we're at, 
And, you know, is travel essential? And what does it mean to do remote work and virtual connections and all of that? But for you in your in your work and your your travel writing, do you think that that gives you a different perspective when you when you go see different places, when you travel to different places, when you're coming there as a writer, do you find that that enhances your ability to be fully present in the experience? Or do you find you're constantly trying to sort of, oh, that would be a good thing to be writing about? Oh, that, you know, oh, I need to make a note of that, rather than just being in the moment? Both. Sometimes it's really helpful to have to pay attention to details so that you have to record them later. and that helps you sometimes to be in the moment and be present. And then there are times when, yes, it gets in the way. But with respect to broadening your horizons, you know, Mark Twain, especially this seems especially relevant right now with Black Lives Matter, Mark Twain, who, you know, many people accuse of being a terrible racist. I think it's a more nuanced situation than that. But he had a quote, travel is fatal to prejudice. And I think it's absolutely true. And so, yes, I do think travel is absolutely necessary. And one of the things that I've said for years about the United States is I'm not saying that it should be, and I don't think it should be military, but I think there should be some form of compulsory foreign service in our culture because there's so much xenophobia and there's so much misunderstanding and ignorance of other cultures, other everything outside of the borders of the United States. And that needs to change really, really drastically. And that will help in all of the social issues that everybody is facing right now. Well, absolutely. But I would add to that, that, you know, it's both foreign service and any kind of service where they're having to be taken out of their comfort zone. And like we said, our country in itself is so big. And there's so many different multicultural, you know, there's so many different things to experience here and work that needs to be done here. I've always thought that it it would be a good thing to introduce sort of required some kind of social service for a year before you go off to college or or whatever to really get perspective. And it's all about perspective is really what you're you're talking about. And I stand corrected. I agree with you. You do not need to leave the borders of the United States to have a completely transformative cultural experience where you are cast into something that is so unfamiliar to you that completely challenges the way you think about things and see the world. So yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I'm curious for for those who are of our listeners who might be sort of always wanted to be a travel blogger or travel writer, what are some of the things that you feel sort of led to your path in doing that, and that really, if someone aspires to to do that kind of work, what are some of the key things that they need to do, you know, to experience or to get training in that will help them in that path? If you want to be a writer of any kind, the first thing you have to do a lot of is read. And that is very, very important. If travel writing or pursuing that particular angle it helps to have an expertise. You know, if you look at the most influential bloggers, Instagram influencers, or even Pulitzer Prize winning writers, a lot of them tend to have an area where they have deep knowledge. They are trained in something, whether it's 
the ability to climb a mountain or whether it's a knowledge of, you know, English country houses, they have some area of expertise that helps them. So that helps. And then you just kind of have to do it beyond that. You just kind of have to take the leap. And has it changed over the years? I mean, I'm sure it has, but how has it changed for you over the years in that there's different mediums for delivery of the writing? And in some cases, it's, you know, moving from writing to you've also done radio and various other different forms of journalism. How has that evolved for you in your career path? Well, it's definitely changed in the with respect to who is doing it. With the advent of social media, things have started to skew very much younger. And with the advent of everything being online as opposed to in print, there is a much shorter attention span. And so the biggest change for me is whereas 15 or 20 years ago, I might have written a several thousand word story for the Royal Academy Magazine or the South China Morning Post. Now I have 600 words to talk about, you know, 800 years of a particular history in Prague or something like that, where it is a challenge and I've been doing it, but it's always a challenge to try and keep up with the ever shortening amount of space and attention that people are willing to offer things. Which do you prefer the short or the long form? I like both of them. It's funny. I prefer, well, I shouldn't say that. I think I prefer the long form, but the immediate gratification of the short form is kind of fun and kind of cool. You do something in real time. And, you know, if you're hired to be an influencer, you're in this place and you're seeing people's response and how they were feeling about what you're doing as you're doing it. And that's really cool to be, you know, in the souk in wherever Marrakesh and having people say, Oh, wow, that's super cool that, you know, or bring me back one of those or whatever it is. The immediacy of it, the immediate gratification is really kind of cool. Absolutely. But actually you're alluding to also the fact that it's become much more visual as well, which I guess in the in your, the old days, it was you write an article and somebody else would do all of the images and the sort of the packaging of how it was delivered when you're doing it through social media or a lot of these short forms, you're responsible for the images as well. Absolutely. Or, I mean, frequently they will use a professional's photography to accompany. Yeah, I am not the world's greatest photographer, although I have to say I am a published photographer. My photos, you know, I've published in in magazines, you know, wildlife photos from Africa or landscapes all over the world. But yes, it is a very much more visual world out there. And if you don't grab people with the visual, then you're kind of lost the opportunity. So what I was saying before about things that you should do if they want to get into that, being a really good photographer or investing in a good enough camera that'll make you look like a good photographer is a worthwhile thing. Yeah, for sure. The other thing I want to ask you about, because I think it's really important when you're choosing particularly travel, but also journalism as sort of a career path that's going to take you abroad and take you to different places. It's always such a, a pleasure to find someone to do that with. And you have an amazing partner. I love Sam. And Sam 
you know, he comes along with you on a lot of these great adventures. And how important is that, you know, and, and in terms of like finding your, your lifestyle, your travel lifestyle, how important has that been in terms of finding the right partner to do that with? It's really funny that you should ask that because Sam is the perfect person in some ways. And then, so if I have to spend five days on the ground in a country in Europe and I have to hit, you know, eight museums that have this artist in their collection and then also figure out the place that all of these paintings once hung together, whatever royal palace, he can't stand things like that. And I love it. So in those cases, I'm by myself and it's, or a media trip where, you know, a board of tourism wants you to see every single inch of their island or whatever it is. That is so not something that he likes to do. But when I'm going to a private island in Fiji, he's on board. He's on board. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, I mean, going skiing in Argentina in July you know, things like that, he's immediately, yes, I'm coming. I think I'm kind of with Sam on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, my father's, my father's third wife had a rule for him. When they went to Europe, she said, you get one palace or one, or one church or one palace a day, and that's it. That's <laughs> so funny. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that, particularly about the churches, because I appreciate them now. But I certainly remember from some of the very early trips that we did with our parents, and feeling like another church, ugh, another church, <laughs> another church. It's like I mean, and we weren't even religious. I mean, it's sort of like really another church. I mean, they're spectacular, but really, how many churches can you go see? <laughs> But now, of course, I'm like, oh, let's go check out this church. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the same way. I remember, but I remember being a child. I was probably three or so. I was very young and I have two older brothers and we were in Pompeii and the Italian tourism police tried to stop my father from bringing us into what was the whorehouse in Pompeii because it's the one with all the murals and the penises and the phalli, like, you know, the flying phalli and all of that. And they said, oh, no, 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 you can't bring children in here. It's inappropriate. You know, and my father said, he drew himself up and said, I will decide what's appropriate for my children to see or not to see. Get out of my way. And, you know, when we were children, we were exposed to a lot of things that, you know, a lot of maybe parents might not, but my dad did. And I think it was a good thing overall. It sounds like it didn't lead you down a bad path in in the end anyway. (laughs) Before we log off, I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about your book, which is such a great story. So (laughs) are you going to be writing another one? And how did that come about? I mean, tell us a little bit more about it, because I want folks to be able to to find you there. So it's called Crimes of Fashion, and it's a parody of sort of a Danielle Steele, Jackie Collins kind of, you know, page turner or whatever you call those books. And it came about because... I was staying in a friend's apartment for about a month and she had stacks of those books. And I read them and I said, this is so formulaic. I can do this, but I could actually make it funny and write it well. So it's actually a well-written parody version of one of those stories. It's about three women who start a fashion empire that's wildly successful. And then they all fight over it and what happens to them. 
And I definitely have a sequel in mind. And, you know, who knows? Now that the world has slowed down a lot, I have been doing a lot of writing of my own. So maybe I'll find the time to actually get to that. So will the next book will be a, a lead on from the crimes of fashion? Or do you have another book in you in mind? Yeah, no, I'm writing something else right now that is extremely personal. And it's sort of, it's very much in the vein of Edith Wharton. So it's much more serious. It's basically, if you had to ask me what it's about, it's about emotional violence. Mm. Everybody behaves perfectly, but there's a tremendous amount of hurt slapped on people, despite everyone doing everything, you know, by the book. Quite timely, I have to say. Right now, there's a lot of that going on. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, there's a whole lot of hurt in the world. Yeah. Well, hopefully, if we can talk about it more, some healing can go on, too. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what? Inshallah. Yeah, yes. It is such a pleasure to see you again and to connect with you and hear your story. And I want to make sure folks can find you and find your work. What's the best way for them to find you? So probably Boston Magazine's website. My own website is under redesign right now. I am also editor-in-chief of Boston Social Diary, which we were set to launch in March. And so that is being put off. So right now I'm in a form of limbo, but certainly on social media, I'm Jonathan Soroff or some version of that on you know Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. And then if you just Google my name, because I do a lot of work for other publications like DuJour Magazine, I have a piece coming out this week. I'm sure their search engine optimization is better than mine. And so my name will probably pop up with all of those things. Great. Well, we'll make sure that we have all the links available in the show notes so folks can find you and find your wonderful book. And who knows, maybe by the time we come out of quarantine, you'll have another one ready to go in the pipeline. So um, I hope so. Yeah. So anyway, it was such a treat having you on today and always love chatting with you. And thank you, Global Nomads, for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming shows. And if you really like the show, we always appreciate a rating and review. And don't forget to share it with us so we can give you a little love back. It's been a pleasure joining you and sharing this time with you today. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. Bye bye for now.